You know, just be yourself. The, the number one business tool that we all have that no one's using is our ability to create connection with other people. Everyone's relying on automation and technology when they're forgetting about the most valuable tool that you have, the number one sales tool that you have yep. is yourself. And too many people are trying to take themselves out of the equation. You know, myself and my our, our business, yes. wild, wildly successful. But we're still on the phone every single day with discovery calls and networking and podcasting. You know, she's upstairs in her office, I'm downstairs in mine, and then we meet in the middle at the end of the day. It, it never stops. And we don't want it to because, you know what, we love people. If yeah. you're in a business that involves someone else to make a monetary decision, whether it's to an angel investor or whether it's uh, a joint venture, or if it's a founder that's launching something or an entrepreneur that has a business idea that's going to you know, create something that's going to solve the problem of other people and you don't want to talk to people, <laughs> then you might as well just go get a job and work for someone else because it's never going to happen. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of Want Money, Got Money. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. Today, I'm interviewing Scott Aaron. He is a founder, speaker, sales and lead generation expert, author, and much more. In this episode, he shares his experience of raising money for a not-for-profit venture and how human connection can be your superpower. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Scott. Um, I'd love to know a bit more about you and what you are up to these days. Yeah. So thank you, Sam, for having me. And currently, myself and my wife, we own and operate our own consulting coaching and branding firm. There's the, the agency is called BYOB Agency, but we have sub-companies underneath it called Time to Grow. And then I have my own LinkedIn coaching program yes. that I work with individuals. Uh, so solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, multipreneurs, uh, and even small, mid and large size companies. I've uh, done trainings for Fidelity Bank. I've done uh, some trainings for some 30 to $40 million a year uh, revenue-based companies. So basically, I teach human connection on LinkedIn. I'm also a three-time author. I have another a fourth book coming out soon, uh, top podcaster, and just really living life by design right now. And, and that's what myself and my wife strive to do. Oh, that's fantastic. I would love to dwell more into the human connection side of things uh, because I do think that any tech founder that is listening to this podcast would can benefit from that. Before we mm. move on to that, would love to know a bit more about your history. Yeah, I was in the health and wellness industry. I started, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I just turned 41 and I started in entrepreneurship when I was 18 going on 19 years old. My, my father also an entrepreneur made some bad business mistakes in a, a prior business when I was uh, about 17, uh, senior year in high school, that uh, a year later, as I was exiting my freshman year of college, he ended up getting sentenced to 24 to 36 months in federal prison. Oh. And he had made a pivot knowing his demise, and he bought and was running our first family-owned fitness club. And I didn't know this, but that was going to be turned over to me after he went away. So at 18 yeah. and a half, almost 19, I became a business owner, whether I liked it or not. So the, the first 18 years of my career 
were mm-hmm. spent in the in the health and wellness industry. I did uh, personal training, sports nutrition, group fitness. We owned and operated three different health clubs. I did corporate wellness speaking, corporate wellness programs. I started my own. I was the the head and uh, started a nonprofit charity. Uh, 5K run in uh, a local nonprofit across the street from the gym. It was a, a cemetery. So it was a non for profit cemetery that basically owned and operated off of fundraising. And I helped start something called the 5K run, uh, the RIP 5K run. So rest in peace. So it was around Halloween time here in the States that you would run at dusk. Everyone would dress up in costume. And that sounds like I, fun. I, Yeah. Yeah. I helped raise a lot of money. And uh, then got into online wellness in 2013. And that's kind of like when the doors opened up to me where I saw that there was a a bigger picture to impact more people. And uh, I've been spending the last seven years through multiple business ventures, growing first an online wellness business. And then within the last four years, launching my own online coaching and consulting practice. And that's what I'm doing today. No, that is great. There is, yeah, there is so much to dwell into that. One thing that I have seen talking with lots and lots of founders and entrepreneurs, one thing that they are really good at is is selling. So, you know, you have to, whether it is your not-for-profit venture or your health and fitness business or getting a lead through LinkedIn or, or whatever it might be, most entrepreneurs over time, get really, really good at selling their vision, selling their ideas, and just selling their product, service, whatever it might be. What was the first thing that you ever sold? Wow. I think it was before I even was at the gym. I mean, if I was going to say anything that I sold myself was probably gym memberships and then personal training packages. I mean, my, my wife tells me all the time I could sell snow to an Eskimo at this point. So... There's nothing I can't sell. If I, if I believe in something, if I get behind yes. it, because just like you said, when I was starting the 5K run, you know, we needed sponsors. So yeah. I was literally going to local businesses and pitching and, yeah. you, know, you know, you pay this amount of money, you're going to get on the banner, you're going to be in this front of many, many people. So you, you have to pitch and you have to sell. And I love selling because I sell without selling. So I I focus on the aspect of connecting with people. So I always find out if there's a pain point or if there's a need that their business, you know, when someone comes into the gym, when I was selling memberships, you know, thanks for coming in today. What is it you're looking for in a gym? So when I ask that question, they tell me exactly what they're looking for. So where do you think I start the tour? Exactly with what they want to see. So you always ask questions to get to answers. And that's what I've always learned is that the more that you ASK, the more that you'll GET, you have to ask in order to get. So whether it was selling gym memberships or selling personal training packages, I started my own boot camp and I was selling packages for that, Uh, selling online wellness programs, online supplements, my coaching. All I do is sell without selling because what I've realized is that when you have something to offer the marketplace that is going to help someone after they purchase it, you're not selling, you're connecting and offering them an opportunity to better something in their life. That is such a good point. And one thing that you touched on, that is you solve 
problems for people. You're not really selling, but you're solving problems. And that's why pretty much it is like a mini pivot for every client that was coming to your health club or or whatever online service you're doing because you're finding out their need and then customizing your answer or your pitch to meet that need. And that is so crucial. So going back to, you know, when you did your run and you got got funding for say like a not-for-profit event, how did you start? Like I, I talk with a lot of founders who work in this sort of a social good space, whether they want to work with underprivileged communities or they have seen something that is not working in in the world or someone who doesn't, who is lacking things and they want to provide things for them, whether it is food or, uh, or anything it might be. And they, they want to raise some funding for them or for their venture that is going to bring a lot of social good to the world. How should they even approach it? You know, where, how did you know where to start? How did you know who to go and reach out to? Well, I didn't because I had never done it before. And sometimes you just have to figure it out. But the concept came about. So my gym, my last gym was directly across the street from a cemetery called the Laurel Hill Cemetery. It's actually one of the oldest cemeteries in the United States. A lot of there's some presidents and there's a lot of old historical figures actually buried in this cemetery. And so I would go and I would do runs because I didn't like running on the street. I wanted something a little bit different. So I, they would allow me to come in the cemetery and I would run up and down the paths. And I, rem- I became you know, good friends with the people that worked there. And I said, you know, I said, how do you guys you know, do this? And she, they say, well, we, we do a lot of fundraising and we have balls and we have mixers. And, we, and I said, have you guys ever thought about doing uh, a run like a 5k which is 3.1 kilometers or 3.1 miles five five kilometers yep and and i said it would be really fun because i had a a whole membership base of people that like to run you know why not just bring them across the street and i said you know it's a cemetery i said why don't we do some sort of fall run based around halloween where people can dress up in costume and so we started brainstorming the idea and I, I had to get other people on board. So you, you learn from the mistakes. So I ended up partnering with another nonprofit. I, I, I called a bunch of nonprofits in the area and I said, listen, I'm putting together a 5K run. You know, we're looking for some other nonprofits to, that have a, a presence in the area to put their name on it. You know, are you interested? And I said, you're going to get X amount percent of the proceeds that are brought in to help your nonprofit. So I initially had three nonprofits working together. So the cemetery themselves, and then a good friend of mine has a nonprofit called Back on My Feet, where I was already doing work with them. So Back on My Feet is a nonprofit where they help women that are coming out of drug rehabilitation to get reacclimated to life, but also to exercise. So they would come into the gym and they would borrow our fitness studio and they would do free classes for them to get them reacclimated. So I said, you know what, I'm already doing some work with them. I said, why not have them included so they can benefit as well? And I was good friends with the, the founder of the nonprofit. So they came on board. So we were going through and, and again, I had, 
just like anything, you, you kind of put a, a program around it. What do we need? So we, we sat down, we brainstormed, we, we needed to come up with a logo, we needed to get a website, we needed to get t-shirts. And then, you know, when we figured all that out, then we started the, the fundraising, you know, what, it, what is it going to cost? How much money is it going to take us to, to get the t-shirts? And we basically started launching some campaigns. Now, we also needed some draws. So, you know, there's a ton of runs in Philadelphia. So, you know, what, were, what could we do to entice people to want to come to this run? Well, one, it was a costume 5K in a cemetery. But then we were having an after party. So one of my employees was also in a band. So their band offered to play live music at the after party where we did it at a, a farmer's market where there was free drink and free food. So it was a, a reason for people to come out. So the, the first year was, was absolutely uh, a success. We, I think we raised close to, to $12,000 for the event. But yeah. it was a real bad experience with the one nonprofit. They did not show up to one board meeting. They didn't even show up on the day of the race to promote themselves. They didn't try to. So I dropped them. And I said, you know what? Too many hands in the cookie jar. I said, yes. let's just stick with the two nonprofits, the one that's hosting and then the one that's helping co-host. Yeah. And every year, and I, I operated it and ran it. Uh, for four years, and then I basically stepped back, and it was it was running itself, and I turned it over to them. But in the four years that I helped run it, uh, we raised close to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it was it was an amazing experience because then we we started adding things. Local breweries would come and they would donate kegs of beer, so people would hang out. We had DJs, yeah. and then we started doing contests. So we actually would have costume contest where there would be a best costume award. So I was emceeing it and it was just, it was a really great time. It was family friendly. People would run with strollers and their babies. They would bring their dogs. So when we started, crazy enough, the first year, I think we had around 40 or 50 runners. By the fourth year, we had over 350 runners running in that race. And it got so big that we actually had to stagger the race. We had to have two separate runs going at the same time because there were so many people. And it, it was just an amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, that is really interesting that you managed to build something out of nothing. And which is always um, scary for anyone new starting out. And going back to the human connection, what advice do you have for, say, a new founder or a new entrepreneur who wants to build that sort of connection and leverage the power of networks? Either it could be to get more customers, to get the right employees, to get attract and make those connections with the right investors. What advice do you have for them? You know, just be yourself. The, the number one business tool that we all have that no one's using is our ability to create connection with other people. Everyone's relying on automation and technology when they're forgetting about the most valuable tool that you have. The number one sales tool that you have yep. is yourself. And too many people are trying to take themselves out of the equation. You know, myself and my, our, our business, yes. wild, wildly successful. 
but we're still on the phone every single day with discovery calls and networking and podcasting. You know, she's upstairs in her office, I'm downstairs in mine, and then we meet in the middle at the end of the day. It, it never stops. And we don't want it to because you know what? We love people. If yeah. you're in a business that involves someone else to make a monetary decision, decision whether it's to an angel investor or whether it's uh, a joint venture or if it's a founder that's launching something or an entrepreneur that has a business idea that's going to you know, create something that's going to solve the problem of other people and you don't want to talk to people, <laughs> then you might as well just go get a job and work for someone else because it's never going to happen. The fact is, whether you like it or not, you have to get in the trenches and you have to stay in the trenches as long as you can. I've seen so many businesses succeed and then fall flat on their face because once they started to get that taste of success, you know what they did? They took the foot off the gas. Yeah. So no matter, no matter how many lives my, myself and my wife's company are impacting, no matter how much income and revenue our businesses are bringing in, it's never going to be enough because there's always going to be someone else to serve. So we're constantly raising the bar of how can we continue to push ourselves forward. So the fact is, is that you need to decipher, you know, if you break down the sales process, so, so if yeah. we're looking at the end result of something and the end result, whether you're an angel investor, a joint venture, whether you're running a nonprofit, if you're running a nonprofit, it's actually a for-profit because you need money to actually run the nonprofit. So it's all the same thing. 100%. I cannot agree more. But at the end of the day, there, there's a, there's a four-step process to creating revenue and it starts with leads. If you don't have leads, if you don't have people to talk to, you can't get to the second step, which is conversations. When you get a lead, it leads to a conversation. Now, conversations lead to the third step, which is conversions, which is what you need in your business. You need to convert those conversations into business, which leads you to the fourth step, which is revenue. I don't, you can call your business a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit, but it needs profit to run the nonprofit. So no matter what the business looks like, no matter if it's a 503C, if it's an LLC, if it's an S-Corp, if it's a partnership, every single one of those enterprises requires the same thing. You need money to make money to run the business. And at the end of the day, the number one thing that's going to do that is your ability to create connection with other human beings. That is so, so true. I mean, it's, I'm all for, you know, okay, do automation. But at the end of the day, there is a human still making the decision on the other side. It, it is not, it's still now, it's, it's only the very, very basic, unnecessary decisions are made by automation. If you still need to sign a corporate to your SaaS product or, or even a small to medium business, there will be people on the other side signing those sort of decisions. So you need to have the ability to build that human connection. And one of the other things that I learned just from you know talking with you today, it is ask when you when you build that connection you can get to ask them what is the what is their problem what do they want to solve so you can better cater to their needs it is still very hard to do those sort of things with automation or or at least in my experience i agree yeah i've got one question for you scott if you were say starting today you know if you're 18 year old now and you're starting from scratch what would you do what advice would you have for yourself 
find out exactly and determine exactly who you want to serve. What I mean by that is too many people, when they're launching something, they're casting too wide of a net. So an exercise, that I, I, an exercise that I always walk my clients through is who is your avatar? And you know, people that are listening to this right now, you can do this too. If you're, if you're driving a car, keep both hands on the wheel. But if you're sitting and, and listening to this, grab a piece of paper, no matter what your business is, write down the person or the business title or the job title or the industry that you need to plug into to get the desired result. So if I was to do this for myself, so I'm, I'm launching a coaching program, right? Yep. That it, it helps individuals, whatever it is. You know, I, who are the best people for me to talk to? So if I'm, if I'm launching a coaching program that helps, you know, people that are in corporate positions or mid-level positions, mm-hmm. you know, find their true passion in life. I would go on LinkedIn and I would search for mid-level executive or corporate CEO and I would yeah. start reaching out to them. The fact is people don't get niche enough with who yes. they want to serve. You can't serve everyone. I'm sorry. There's, there's a lot of people in this world, but to think that you are going to serve every single person, that's a great goal to have, but it's not a realistic goal. Because you have to serve that conglomerate of ideal people first that can lead to the masses of people. So I always tell people the quality leads to the quantity. So I'm very specific about who I work with, who I want to work with. There's people, Sam, that I actually tell, I'm not for you. I don't think that I could help you. I think you're looking for something else. I can refer you to someone. I'm not the right coach for you because I don't want to help just anyone because my reputation as a coach is dependent upon the people that I choose to work with. So I make sure that I work with people that are coachable. So if someone is just starting a business, find out who your customer and client is. Don't just say, well, anyone that's 25 and older and is in business, (laughs) that's, that's too many people. Yes. You got to you you got to serve a very specific demographic first. So, you know, are they male or female? How old are they? What is their college education if they have any? What kind of money are they making? What industry are they in? What jobs have they had? What are they looking for? What problem are you solving for that person? So, when you can outline that avatar for yourself, it's going to help you market yourself that much better when you are launching your business. Very very true. One of the example I give to people um that I talk with as well, because I talk with lots of founders. And that is that, you know, even Facebook, when it did start, even right now, people, everyone uses it or a lot of people around the world use it. It was only for Harvard students or, you know, just one university campus. It wasn't even for all Ivy Leagues or even Stanford or other. It didn't even include other community colleges or anything else. Just very, very specific Harvard students. They're just like in a three, four year range <laughs> that, their um, age group, their demographic, they're all in a one very tiny geographic location, even though it's an online solution, anyone could use it anywhere. But it started there, it solved the problem for them first, before going out and expanding from there on to other university campuses. So you are 100% right, you're on the on the money for, for that. Yep. 
So before we end, I have this sort of three quick fire questions. And that is, what is the book you are reading or what is one book that you recommend to people? Go for No by Andrea Waltz and Richard Fenton. Go for Get the no. original. Get the yes. original. It, it's on the title. It, like, it says yes is the destination, but no is how you're going to get there. So when you're in fundraising, when you're a nonprofit, when you're in a venture capitalist and you're asking someone for money, you're asking for an exchange, a monetary exchange, you're going to be told no 30 times more than you will yes. So when you can fall in love with the word no, the yeses will start showing up. So for me, I teach my clients to have no goals, not, not like no goals, like yes. the word N-O. How many no's do you want to have every week? So I know what my no quotient is. If, if, I, if I have 25 calls in a week, I know one out of every five phone calls, I'm going to close a new client. So I know that's five new clients a week. So yeah. the, the fact is people are throwing darts at a dartboard with their eyes closed. This book is unbelievable. It's 75 pages. It will fire you up and it will realize it will help you emotionally detach from the word no, fall in love with it, and the yeses will start showing up. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful advice. Um, no wonder you are at the top of your game. <laughs> really good advice. Uh, number two, and that is, is there a podcast that you recommend or that you listen to regularly? For the Love of Money by Chris Harder. He's a mentor and friend of mine. Unbelievable. You know, he says when, when, when good people make good money, they do great things. And he's making you unapologetic for wanting to have monetary success. And he does, you know, solo episodes. He does dual episodes with his amazing wife, Lori, or he interviews uh, other seven, eight, and nine-figure income earners, some billionaires too, about what they've done to succeed. So I highly, highly recommend that podcast. Absolutely. That's great. I will put the link in underneath in the description everywhere this goes. And the last question is, if money, time, resources of, were of no issue, you had unlimited time, money, resources, what would you build? What would you work on? I mean, my big dream is to have a, a beachfront house by the New Jersey shore where it, there's a big open kitchen and a panoramic view of the Atlantic Ocean where my family can go and get away. That's great. That is really good. Finally, if people want to connect with you, reach out to you, what's the best? Is it your LinkedIn or? Yeah, I have a website. So it's www.scotterron.net or you can find me on social media. You can just search Scott Aaron on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'll come right up. And if you are on Instagram, my handle is at Scott Aaron LinkedIn. Fantastic. That's great. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and learn more and learn quite a few more things about, you know, selling, getting no to get to yes and yeah, and everything in between. Thank you again for your time, Scott. Thank you, Sam. Honor and a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.